0: Israel Olofanyana is an ordained and accredited Baptist minister and the founding director of the Centre for Missionaries for the Majority World. He speaks to us about his own faith story of growing up in Nigeria and immigrating to England, as well as stories of faithful people who helped spread the gospel in Africa. So Israel, tell me, how did Christian faith
1: become a part of your life? So I was born into a Christian family Um, by... I didn't make my own decision until I was around 16, 17. Uh, I had a little bit of personal crisis, and uh, so in Nigerian system of education, uh, before you move on to the next year, you have to do tests and exams and various things like that. And in my secondary school at that time, I failed. And what that means is that you have to repeat the year. That's the consequence. That's the way the educational system was built. So I had to repeat. And so, and I was one of the boys at school that was known for different things, shall we say. So I was kind of thinking, I'm not sure I really want to repeat and be in a class with people who I see as my juniors and that kind of stuff. So I left school uh, in at that instant. Um, so leaving school sort of helped me to detach and be isolated from my friends. And so I started reflecting about life and faith and different things like that. So I started going to church. There was a local Pentecostal church down the road from me. I started attending. Uh, When I started attending, some of the girls thought, oh, it's coming for the girls. But I thought, no, that's not what I'm here. But anyway, people were judging my intentions. but well, as the story continued, I remember clearly on 31st of uh, December 1995, uh, we had like a watch night service. This is one of the big traditions of African Pentecostal churches. You worship God into the new year. So as we were having this service, the pastors made an altar call and said, if anyone like to recommit their life to Christ or come back to Christ or become a Christian, they should step forward. Right there, I was thinking, I've done this several times before. It hasn't really worked out. So I thought, I'm not going to go out. And I felt I heard a voice. In hindsight, it was the Holy Spirit that said to me that, if you trust me, I'll help you on this journey. Just say the prayers and leave that to me. So I said my prayers quietly. There was no thunder. There was nothing, no drama or anything like that. And then I went off, not realizing that something has changed from within. And from then, uh, there was just a change uh, in terms of what I wanted to do, what I didn't feel comfortable doing again. Uh, and so that's how the Christian faith became a matter of So life it was a really
0: 70. new start for you?
1: It was. Um, I started thinking differently. And some of the things I was doing before, I didn't feel comfortable doing them. So, just for example, uh, used to go out with my friends to parties and things like that and then they would come around and I would say, actually I don't feel like going. It, they came a few times and they suddenly realized that, why is he not going with us anymore? And then I started preaching to them and then they started running away <laughs> uh, from me and that's that something has happened to this guy, you know. So it, it was a new change for me, it was a new beginning. People I wouldn't say hello to before, I would now say hello to them and they thought, what's wrong with that boy? It doesn't normally say hello to us now, it's saying hello, you know. Um, So it it was a new change for me in that sense.
0: You'd left school, but you've got quite an extensive education now. So did
1: you get back into school? Yes, I did. So when I left school, I did some extra lessons to get my uh, sort of A-levels and be able to get into university. Uh, But before that, I went into Bible college uh, at my church and did like a year... Uh, what you call a certificate in ministerial formation? I did that, uh, and then while I was doing that, I was learning a bit of Greek and Hebrew. And then one of the lecturers said, "If you actually want to know more about scriptures, then you need to understand Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic." And I was thinking, I would love to do a degree based on those subjects. So I started looking, and I found one, and it was called religious studies in one of the universities. And I felt it's got Greek, it's got Hebrew. That's what I'm going to go and do. So I got back into education and started. Uh, went to, off to university and did religious studies. Did Hebrew for about four years. I mean, three years, and Greek for about uh, three years uh, within that space to help me understand the Bible better. Where where was this? So this was in Nigeria. This was in one of the big cities called uh, Ibadan uh, in Oyo State in southwest Nigeria. Uh, And the university I went to is called University of Ibadan, which is one of the first universities uh, in Nigeria. And it, it was a privilege to be able to go there and learn uh, these languages as well as the Christian faith and prepare me for ministry, even though it was in a secular university, but learned was very useful for ministry.
0: You went into, some min, in, into ministry in Nigeria?
1: Yes, I was. So right from my university days, I was involved in Christian union uh, and I was also involved in starting some Christian fellowships as well. I was involved in starting two different ones. Uh, So right through university, I was busy ministering as well as studying uh, and was involved in evangelism, mission, church planting, various things like that. Um, And then when I finished university, I continued ministry as well because I started working for uh, our church back home in Nigeria, the Pentecostal Church.
0: This might feel like an odd question, but Why all the activity in mission and ministry? What what drove you to do that? What motivated you to do
1: ministry and mission at university? I think when I became a Christian at that 17, when I mentioned earlier, I felt God said to me that he's called me into ministry. Uh, And I felt I want to serve God all my life. So I felt called immediately. I know that sounds strange, but I felt called at that age that all I just want to do is go for the rest of my life. I don't want to do any other thing. That's the only thing I wanted to do and the motivating scripture for me is Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 where it says, for Ezra has prepared his heart to study the law of God and to do it and to teach in Israel its laws. So that became the basis of everything I did from then on uh, and that became the scripture a reference point for me in terms of calling into ministry uh, from there on.
0: We're talking here in London. How did you get from Nigeria to London?
1: That's a good question. So as I was ministering in Nigeria and working uh, in the church as one of the sort of assistant pastors, I was thinking I would like to do that alongside helping with the Bible translation agency because of my knowledge of Greek and Hebrew. So I was looking to work with the Nigerian Bible Translation Trust, which is based in central Nigeria. But then the opportunity came to further my theological education in the UK to do a master's degree in theology. And so I started thinking, okay, so what's God saying here? And then our church, my pastor said, well, if I go, that they would like me to plant a church. And so I felt, well, this sounds great to me. So I opted for the option of coming to the UK uh, as a missionary to help plant the church. Uh, so that's why I came to study and to plant the church in the UK.
0: What was it like going from Nigeria to here in London?
1: It was a big culture shock um, because there is the I'm coming from a Pentecostal background, and when I came to the UK, I didn't plant that church. I decided to go into completely different denomination a baptist church which was a white british baptist church very different from an african nigerian pentecostal church so one of the culture shocks i had was of course we are in an african pentecostal when people are singing and praising god it's like you can blow off the roof and people dancing and everything but from this baptist church everything was singing hymns in a reflective style very different. Not so much roof blowing. <laughs> no, no, no. Very <laughs> quiet, very modest, and also in terms of uh, going around uh, in Nigeria, I can talk to people on the public transport, but I find out in London that is a strange thing to do uh, because people look at it. It's like no one wants to really talk to it and another person. So I find it a big of culture shock and challenge uh, in that sense because I started talking to anyone on the public transport. And I kind of thought, this guy must be mad. He doesn't understand the code. Well, I didn't know until my sister told me, oh, no, you don't do that. You don't talk to people on the public transport. It's just not something you do. No one says it, but it's just a code. No one does it. You're you a bit unique because weren't you a
0: Nigerian pastor in a, like a white Baptist church?
1: Yes, I think. So I started ministering in this church, became the youth minister, and then later became student pastor, -pastor, co-pastor, in that sort of order. When I became the minister in this church in 2007, I didn't realize it was a pioneering role. I realized that I became the first African minister uh, within its 100 years history. And, and so it was kind of like, oh wow, this is, I didn't know I was making history in that sense. And then I realized that there were others who were doing it, who have done it before me. And then it was kind of an eye opener that God must be doing something new here, something different here. And I came across other pastors who have come, who have come as missionaries, been sent from either Nigeria or Ghana and various places. But it was quite pioneering and quite exciting uh, in terms of what God was doing. Now you doing some study here? Um, Yes, um, doing a lot of research and studying around the growth of African churches in the British context uh, and looking at that phenomenon of what we call reverse mission, that is the idea of missionaries coming from Africa, Latin America, Asia and the Caribbean. Uh, to European context as missionaries. Uh, so I've met a lot of refugees, economic migrants, or missionary migrants, as I would call them, uh, who are doing some great stuff here. So I've been doing a lot of research around that, uh, which has led to various publications around African Christianity in the diaspora, particularly in the British context. It,
0: it, it's a bit surprising because a lot of people think of, you know, churches from places like the West, you know, England and America, going to places like Africa. But you're saying that... Now, the churches in Africa, South America, Korea are
1: actually going to the West. Do they see that as their mission? They do. I think increasingly, a lot of people from the majority world or global South uh, see Europe as a mission field, uh, whereas before, no one sees Europe as a mission field. It's kind of like, no, we send missionaries, not the other way around. But now UK is receiving a lot of missionaries. And people have been coming since the 60s, and this is why it's actually interesting that it's not necessarily a new phenomenon, but since the 90s, there's been attention drawn to it. Uh, And so a lot of pastors are coming. So for example, every year in this country, there is a South Korea prayer movement uh, in understanding that One of the first Christians that went to South Korea uh, was from Wales. He was a Welsh guy who went there, died, but was was able to spread scriptures uh, among the South Koreans. And so a lot of South Koreans come to this country every year praying and engaging in evangelistic activities. So that's just one example. There are others uh, things that people are doing coming from different places, whether it's Central Asia or South Asia coming to the UK as missionaries, coming as pastors.
0: Some of the larger churches in London are actually African churches.
1: Yes, they are. So for example, within the Baptist Union, which is my own denomination, uh, some of the largest churches are led by Africans. So we have a church called Trinity Baptist Church, which is led by Kingsley Apege, who is from Ghana, came to this country in the 80s. Uh, His church is seen as one of the largest. And there's another one, you know, Calvary Baptist Church, led by another Ghanaian, Francis Sapong. Uh, These are some of the biggest churches within the Baptist Union. And then when you look at independent churches, you talk about Kingsway International Christian Centre, led by Mafia Shimolowo. again, I think in the 90s, it was regarded as one of the largest churches in Western Europe. Uh, now they have a 12-acre land which they have bought recently where they call it prayer city, you know, where they do all sorts of various things. So the largest churches have been led by Africans uh, at the moment, which is quite exciting uh, in a lot of ways. Going
0: back to, to Africa, Tell me about your understanding of how the church grew in Africa, because if you go back to the uh, 17th, 18th century, there wasn't a lot going on there. But in the last hundred years, growth has taken off in, say, a place, your own country like Nigeria. Tell us about the growth of the church in Nigeria in the last
1: hundred years. I think the growth in Africa, particularly West Africa, can be sort of traced back to some prayer movements. After the first, or during the First World War, uh, there was uh, a worldwide influenza epidemic breakout. And so as this was going, a lot of people were dying uh, in different parts of Africa. There was some group of Christians who started gathering together to pray uh, around 1918, thereabout, And as they started to pray, people were getting healed. And as these healing uh, meetings were taking place, uh, the gospel started spreading, and these people came together and formed their own churches. Uh, and so that's how some of the church growth started uh, because this prayer movement uh, metamorphosed and became churches, and today they are denominations spread across Africa and other places. So, prayer and renewal is a key factor in the growth of sort of African Christianity. The other factor that led to Uh, The growth of African Christianity is the sort of making Christianity relevant to the African culture. Uh, And you have some key people who made that happen that Christianity, because when Christianity was introduced, it was introduced in Victorian style. Uh, Because, of course, uh, the British missionaries who came, uh, you become a Christian, but you, you also become a Victorian person in that sense, but there were a lot of African church leaders who started critiquing and questioning that and said, if Christianity is going to be for us, it's got to have to be African Christianity as opposed to something introduced by you know, an outsider. So as that was going, that was helping Christianity to be indigenized among Africans and people began to use local drums, using their language in worship. Uh, accessibility, you start having indigenous prophets and pastors emerging local leaders and that really helped uh, Christianity to really grow across Africa.
0: So Christianity was brought to Africa by Western missionaries
1: but the growth is actually when the indigenous leadership took hold. Yes, that was when the growth actually happened uh, because The story goes this way, uh, and this is definitely based in historical books on African Christianity. When slaves were being returned to Syria alone, uh, Freetown and Liberia, some of the mission agencies were based in those places. The returning slaves start going back to their various countries, Nigeria, uh, Ghana, Togo, But as they get to their countries, they realize that, because these returning slaves are now Christians, and they realize that their brothers and sisters or their people are not Christians, so they had a Macedonian call to Liberia and to Sierra Leone and ask for the missionaries to come and help. But it was these returning slaves who were Christians who started spreading the gospel and asking for more help. Uh, And so it was then that things started exploding and spreading across uh, West Africa in terms of Christianity expanding and the explosion that we see today.
0: Now one of those was Samuel Crowder.
1: Tell us about his story. Yes, I think Samuel Crowder holds a very special place in my heart because we come from the same city and so I feel privileged to talk about him all the time. I think uh, Ajay Crowder's story, as it goes, is that he was sold into slavery and that happened twice. Uh, the first time it was exchanged for a horse, the second time it was exchanged for a tobacco. He found himself being trafficked uh, along the Atlantic uh, Ocean. Uh, but the British anti-slavery ship intersected uh, this slavery ship that was taking them away and it was rescued and taken to Syria alone. And so when he got to Syria alone, he started learning and started reading and people realized that he had aptitude for learning. He was really learning quite fast and very quickly became a teacher and started teaching. And one of the things that was going on around that time, one of the ideologies was that Africans were not very intelligent. And so Ajayi Crowder defied the odds of that because he showed aptitude. And so they felt okay we needed to train this guy Uh, and so he was sent to the UK uh, to train as a minister and then he did that went back to Syria alone started sharing the gospel and so it became one of the first experiments of Africans reaching out to Africans Uh, and from his training he learned Greek Hebrew and Latin and started translating the Bible into some of the West African languages and from there the gospel started you know exploding and spreading uh, in that sense. anyway, in 1964 they were looking for an African to be a bishop because they thought if the gospel is going to expand, you need an African in that senior role. Ajayi Crowder became that candidate, even though he didn't really wanted it, but they felt it was important. So he was ordained the first African bishop in 1864 in Canterbury Cathedral, not far from uh, here. Uh, and so it was quite pioneering. And he became an inspiration and a bridge between Western mission and African communities and Christianity in that sense. And we can trace some of the church growth back actually to Ajayi Crowder, some of the church movements in Africa uh, can be traced back to uh, Samuel Ajayi Crowder. He was very effective in evangelism very effective because the places where some of the European missions couldn't really go, he was able to go. And because he was also able to speak the local language, so there was a bridge, there was a connection which European missions could necessarily bridge. So he, he was able to do that and he was able to, his mission, uh, missionary trips, they were very successful. Uh, the one he did in Niger Delta and various places, uh, he was able to spread the gospel, which is why I think till today, uh, my tribe, the Yoruba tribe in Nigeria, when you look at us and Christianity it's kind of like very deep and entrenched, but that goes back to Ajayi Crowder who set the pioneering stage for something like that to happen. So
0: you would say, even in your own tribe that you are an outcome of Crowder's work?
1: Yes, yes, because uh, when you look at the big churches, uh, you know, uh, in Nigeria, a lot of them goes back to that region where Ajayi Crowder ministered. There's a lot of big churches in Nigeria, which is spreading across different places.
0: Th- that's a wonderful picture of that um, uh, that relationship between him being supported and trained and then released into min- ministry. But there are, there are other stories like Mary Slessor, and she, she had quite an influence as well.
1: Yes, I think one of the fascinating about the story of Mary Slessor is this. I think a lot of people might not know this, that apart from helping to stop the killing of twins, which is obviously what she's known for, another thing she's known for, which a lot of people will not know is this, that there was a young man he came across called Daniel Ikate in Calabar, Nigeria. Daniel was sort of trained under Mary Slessel. And later Daniel came to Liverpool to be a missionary, and Daniel Ikate started a church in Liverpool in 1931. And that church is a very significant church because it's like one of your first set of African churches uh, in diaspora, uh, in in, in that sense. Uh, Daniel learned a lot from uh, Mary Slessor. And and I think even there was a connection that she made for Daniel with some of the Scottish churches. Because when Daniel started the church, on his board of trustees was the Presbyterian Church and uh, the Catholic Church and the Church of Scotland. Some of the people were involved in that. that can be traced back to Mary Slesso. So here's a good example of a reverse mission story. Mary Slesso in Nigeria, Daniel Zikate back in the UK uh, in that sense. So that that you know that story makes Mary Slesser a very pioneering person in that respect.
0: Another leader was Benson.
1: Yes. Benson Idaosa um, again is another pioneer uh, in Nigeria in West Africa. Uh, Benson Idahosa has a remarkable story. Uh, when he was born, he was born very sick. His dad actually said to the mom, that boy is too sick, go and throw him in the bin. And so the mom actually did and throw him in the bin. And bought, she heard the boy crying and couldn't resist. So of course she picked him back and the dad sent him out. But anyway, the short story is that he grew up, he became a Christian and through Idaosa, what we know as the Word of Faith Movement, Uh, he was the pioneer of the Word of Faith Movement in Nigeria uh, because he started evangelizing and started talking about faith Uh, from around the 1950s, first with the Assemblies of God in Nigeria, and then later he started his own independent church. Uh, Benson Nidaousa was trained in a Bible college in the United States, uh, started by Gordon Lindsay, who is one of the World of Faith pioneers in the States. And and later Benson Idausa became good friends with T.L. Osborne, Ora Roberts, uh, all these pioneers of faith in the States. Uh, But it became a bridge between uh, American Christianity and West African Christianity. That can be traced back to Benson in he It was the rallying point uh, in that particular uh, connection. Today, you can't talk about Word of Faith movement in Africa without talking about Benson in Dauza. He was a pioneer in Dauza. If we went to one of Benson in Dioza's meetings, what would they be like? Wow, they are Pentecostals, definitely. They will be singing and jumping and excited. Uh, Just like an sense. English Baptist. Oh, no, 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 no. Very different. (laughs) Very, very different. There will be a lot of excitement. I mean, churches are still available. uh, They're still around in Nigeria. Uh, You know, uh, Church of God Mission International. And I think they have branches across uh, the globe as well. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, the churches are still around. What what are some of the key traits of the African churches as they're growing? There is something about African spirituality, uh, which doesn't lend itself to enlightenment thinking which doesn't lend itself to too much doubt and speculation and cynicism so there is something about the spiritual world and the awareness of that uh, and, of, and the understanding that the spiritual controls the physical so a lot of African Christians will use that kind of expression and so what that means is that when you have a problem for example You don't think of going to the doctors first. You don't think of the government solving your problem. The first point of contact is God. You pray, uh, you fast, you seek God. Now, when you have that kind of spirituality, the, it, it creates an atmosphere of faith that grows, that trusts God uh, in the midst of any opposition. Uh, and I think that's one of the key marks of African Christianity, that it is deeply spiritual. Uh, it is based on faith, uh, even in the midst of adversity. Whether there is food on the table or not, you continue to serve God. Uh, you don't doubt his existence because there is no food, because you trust that, yes, one day God is going to provide. So you live in hope. Uh, And so that keeps people going. And I think that's one of the key marks of um, African uh, Christianity. Another thing is that it's very practical, uh, even though we have a lot of African theologians. But African Christianity is very, very practical uh, in the sense that it's geared towards uh, helping people. It's geared towards meeting people's needs, meeting people exactly where they are. Uh, in that sense uh, and so because of that I think is a key mark of African Christianity that it's very practical
0: so the African church now is in terms of numbers is a massive church and there's you have said there's the reverse mission how do you see here in London with the work you're
1: doing how do you see that the African church is having an influence on the global church I think it's having an influence because when you look at the churches in the UK it's in decline I've just come back from a conference, uh, a Baptist conference, where we were looking at the numbers, uh, looking at our churches in London, and the rate of decline is serious. You have churches that are closing down. uh, You have churches that are dying. uh, You have churches that have been converted to residential building. Even some, I say, has been changed to a mosque or uh, some community center. Uh, And so we have an atmosphere of decline. Of course, that's not the general picture in the UK, but, uh, you know. There's a lot of that going on at the moment. And then you look on the other side of the Atlantic, there is this continent where Christianity is growing. Whether you look in the north, east, south, west, central, it's growing, it's booming. And so there's a lot of mission practitioners who are asking the question. So (laughs) churches are growing there, it's declining there. What can we learn from these guys? Uh, And so uh, there's been a lot of learning process. So there's a lot of European mission agencies uh, a lot of church denominations who are talking to African theologians, uh, African church leaders and see what can be learned uh, in terms of church growth and in terms of uh, you know how to reverse the trend. Uh, so that, that, that's one example uh, of uh, the change that has happened. Um, the other thing is now today we talk about multicultural, multi-ethnic churches, uh, whereas before that's not something people talk about but today we talk about it because uh, you now have in our churches, they are not just white English churches or Scottish churches, Uh, they are now mixed uh, in in that sense and that's because Christians have come from various places from Africa, from Asia, from Latin America, so we talk about multicultural multi-ethnic churches. Uh, Again that's another change uh, that has happened uh, in, in, in terms of that. And lastly the countries that are sending missionaries now, uh, majority of them are now in the Global South. United States is still one of the leading countries in the West sending missionaries, but now you have to talk about South Koreans, you have to talk about Brazil, you have to talk about Nigeria. Uh, these are the places that are sending missionaries at a large number to other parts of the world. You have South Korean missionaries in Russia, in Ukraine. Uh, it's just, you know, uh, the whole uh, mission is not polycentric. It's not just from the, res- from the west to the rest. Uh, it's polycentric. You can have people going from here to Africa, but now you have Africans coming back here, or you can have uh, Asian missionaries going to uh, other parts of the world. And w- we have a lot of mixture of that going on. But again, that goes back to uh, what we can learn from majority world Christians. Geographically, the gospel has kind of
0: covered the globe and Jesus' word for us was that we should go to the ends of the
1: earth. So what does going to the ends of the earth mean for you now? I think what that means is to still remember that despite the successes that we are seeing in continents such as Africa, Latin America, there are still places where the gospel is still not there yet. White Cliff Bible Translators will let us know that there's still about 1.5 million people who don't have scripture in their own language. So there is still task to be achieved, Uh, there is still places to go to and share the gospel. It's good that we have the success, but I think ends of the earth means going beyond what we are currently seeing, and in my opinion for that to happen it would take Western missionaries and missionaries from the global south working in partnership to ensure uh, that the ends of the earth is rich so that those people who don't have scripture in their language can have that and those unreached places uh, that we still have at the moment, uh, we can be able to go there uh, and share the gospel of Christ.
0: This series is called Jesus the Game Changer. So Israel, how is Jesus the Game Changer for you?
1: I think Jesus is the Game Changer because when I look through church history, You see the life of someone like Paul, who persecuted the church, changed uh, and became uh, a missionary who wrote half of the New Testament. That's Jesus the game changer. Only Jesus can do that. You see someone like Augustine, who wrestled with sin, uh, and then later he found grace. And today we talk about Augustine, one of the church fathers. That is Jesus the game changer. You look at Martin Luther, uh, who talk about reformation and with other reformers in Europe, uh, you look at uh, what happened to him before and then how his life changed. Again, that's Jesus the game changer. You look at Samuel Ajayi Crowder, Mary Slessor, uh, Hannah Kilnan, who translated scriptures in West Africa, uh, Daniel Zikate, who was influenced by Mary Slessor, and the list goes on. Uh, All these people, one thing they have in common is Jesus transforming their lives and changing them. But each individual became a pioneer that affected history, that affected a segment of society that we still talk about today and still write about. And so in that sense, when you look at it, the commonality is that Jesus transformed their lives and turned them from either an ex-slave, someone who was broken, someone who people have forgotten about, uh, or someone who was thrown in the dust bin who later became a pioneer of Pentecostalism in Nigeria. Only Jesus can do something like that, and so it's the game changer.